You're listening to Technical Outcast. I'm your host, Steve Reagan, and today I'm joined by Andy Ellis. It's time for Andy Explains. Welcome back. Andy, buddy, how are you? I am fantastic. I just got done keynoting at Tactical Edge, which normally is in Colombia, but the whole internet is in Colombia, or maybe Colombia is in the internet today. So I didn't have to travel very far, but uh, always fun, but always draining doing a keynote talk. So when uh, when you do Tactical Edge in person, do you like going to Colombia? Is that one of your, your favorite places to travel yeah. to and speak? Yeah, so the, the first one is actually Security Zone. Edgar Rojas is who uh, puts it on. And it's his way of giving back to Colombia, where he's, you know, his family's from. Uh, and, you know, we, did, we were in Cali, which was interesting. You know, we were staying at what, you know, one of these villas that had been repossessed. So, you know, who knows, maybe it had been a drug lord's villa. Um, and then a few years later, two years ago, went back, was in Bogota at the uh, uh, Tactical Edge. Amazing, amazing place to go visit. I have, you know, those of you who are on the podcast can't see it, but uh, I'm showing to Steve Reagan the uh, the, the Balsam the Wisca, the El Dorado Golden Barge, which I got a copy of. That is of. neat. That is really neat. Yep. So today I figured we would talk about something that's not really discussed when you listen to security podcasts. It's it's more of a consideration that you may or may not have. So the other night, there was some discussion on Twitter. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. But somebody had made a comment that, you know, it was all about follower count, influence marketing, and, and things like this. And while I naturally disagree with that stance, it got me to thinking. You know, on Twitter right now, I have like something like 14,000 followers, and I don't even want to think about how many you have. But when 19,602, you... but just checking. There you go. So when I you literally pulled it up, <laughs> you pulled it up guy, right as you had. <laughs> no, I pulled out my phone and checked it while Steve started. Yeah, talking. see, that, that justification is really key right there. Otherwise, people are going to be like, really, dude? Really? <laughs> Granted, like 10,000 of them are security companies that follow me trying to sell to me. Oh, yeah. So yours are probably more authentic followers than many of mine are. Oh, probably. And that actually brings up a really good point. So when you consider these numbers, they're not numbers. That's my point. They're individuals. These are people yeah. with lives and thoughts and feelings and opinions and ideas. And they chose to follow me. So with that said, what is it that I'm putting out there? What am, I, what am I doing to help them, to better them, to better myself? What am I doing to contribute? And how can I make it better? And it was something I was, I was thinking about last night. And then as I was doing notes for our discussion in this recording, I got to thinking that that's not a bad topic because over the last 20 years, you have interacted with thousands of people. You have thousands of followers too. And when it comes to what you've done in your career, you've interacted with so many people. And yet, literally in 20 years, I could argue that millions of people have seen you on stage talking at some point. 
that every year, tens of thousands of people will see you do a keynote or something like this. So that's my question to you. That's what I want Andy to explain. When you consider the individuals who follow you, what is it that you do to put out there that adds something to their day? What are you contributing and how do you address that? Well, it's a, it's a deep question and it doesn't have a simple answer because it varies by venue. Like when I, I'm doing a keynote, I have a very different take than you know an off-the-cuff tweet, uh, than maybe a tweet I've thought about deeply. Um, but if I had to look at it, my, my goal is to change the world, but to do it in, in little authentic, organic ways. And here's, here's the way I like to think about it. Um, <clears throat> You know, about a year ago, actually, I was sitting in uh, Gillette Stadium, and I'm sitting next to one of the Patriots players' wives. Our seats were next to one another, and you know, she's got her family in front of her. I'm not going to name the player or wife. There's you know, no need to draw them in, but there had been some. She made some comment, and I, I gave a reply that I'd actually taken from somebody else. That he had changed my life. Uh, you know, one, a fellow Akamai employee who walked around one day and he said, you know, on a scale of one to 10 for all living things ever, how fortunate do you feel? And whenever anybody hesitated, he'd be like, this is an easy answer. It's a 10, you're not a nematode. <laughs> like I set the bar really, really low here. Um, and, and that really resonated with me and I'd shared it with her, talking about just how fortunate we all were. Like we're sitting here watching a football game like in the grand scheme of things a football doesn't matter at all it really doesn't and i say this surrounded by football i was gonna say i i, I was um, about to point that out that you were literally surrounded by football memorabilia right now yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I organize my life around going to football games and the game doesn't matter how fortunate and blessed am i i get to do that and talk to amazing people like i meet people from all walks of life at a football game um, that were brought together in that moment by football in four separate ways. She said to me, she said, you know, wow, you should be a motivational speaker. You know, these guys need to hear what you say. And, and look, that stuck with me. And part of me says, you know, I want to do that. And so the keynote I gave today, I realized was day two of this four day workshop. I need to build on like how to do better decision making and be a better thinker. It would be an amazing motivational workshop to do. And if I did it, right, it would all come back to having as one of its motivators, this offhand comment that she made. It was a compliment. Like, I, I think it was with sincerity. Like, she wasn't just like, you know, blowing that out. No, she was real. But, but that's, you know, that's where I want to be. You know, I want to be the person. And I see that sometimes that people will come back to me and I'll say, yeah, I, I tried this thing, but I heard from you. And I'm looking, and I'm like, I don't remember saying that at all. But I believe I said it. It's not that I'm listening. And I never would have said it. But it's not that, like, I have this one moment where I say this one thing, and it's amazing. Instead, I want to be able to hear like, my words come back to me, but people don't know they're my words. Like, that, to me, is what I really want to do. I want to change the world that way. That happened to um, me I want as to a give reporter. People best days. That happened to me as a reporter. My words came back to me and they didn't realize they were telling me my words, but they were quoting a, a solution to a problem. 
dealing with uh, phishing type of attacks. And they were like, the best advice I've ever seen. And they were literally almost quoted me verbatim. And I was like, that's great. That's sound advice. Never, you know, told them where it came from. You know, I wasn't about that. But in that particular moment, I was like, that's my one. Because when I, when I wrote stories back, back in the days, my goal was reach one person with this story. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many hits you get or how many clicks you get. Find one person that got something out of this, and that's it. You win. That was my one person. So, I mean, right. I, I counted it as a win. And I, I think I agree with your philosophy on that, you know, to, to go out and try to, to give somebody something they can do. Because I, I tend to do that now when I go to cons and there are the, for lack of a better term here, it's not a disrespectful term, but the newbies, the ones who are brand new that don't really have the networking connections, the insight, or even just the peer group yet that a lot of us have that we rely on every day. And mm -hmm. so you can spot them. They're usually at the outside of the crowd, listening to everybody else talk. And what I like to do is, is I just walk over. I'm like, I'm Steve. How are you? That's it. And then talk to them. And eventually you always find somebody that has somebody, something interesting to contribute to the conversation, introduce them to the group and say, he had a great idea. She had a great idea. Let's, let's talk yep. and bring them into the conversation. I get the biggest thrill out of doing that. And I've seen friendships formed later down the line because of those little things. Like they had a thread on Twitter not too long ago. And it was DEFCON memories. And one of my closest friends shared a photo of me um, playing with a touchscreen menu. We'll just say that. And she had mentioned that uh, this was her first DEFCON where she had met me and another, another guy. And she'd only known us previously from IRC. Mm -hmm. That was cool. Because I remember, you know, this big chat group. And we were just all talking and, and hanging out. And then suddenly... Bam, we have a, a, a cohesive friend unit. That yeah, was awesome. Well, in the early days of Twitter, it was sort of that same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, this big chat group, and you show up at a conference. And for me, I'm horrible with names and faces. So, you know, I run into people at a conference, and I'm like, six months later, like, oh, yeah, I saw you at that last conference. I'm like, I don't know who you are. But Twitter, now it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I see your name every <laughs> month. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. So I think you and I first met at uh, the CISO 40 or 50 conference. Yep. CSO 50 down in Atlanta, wasn't it? Yeah, no, right CSO, it was CSO 40 oh, down in Atlanta. CSO 40. I yeah. have some stories about that resort. Oh, man, that was entertaining. <laughs> uh, right. And then all of a sudden, somebody says, oh, yeah, you know, we're interested in hiring Steve Reagan. I'm like, oh, I know who Steve is. If it hadn't been for Twitter, I would have forgotten your name. Mm -hmm. And then you walked in the door. I'm like, wait a minute. Why do I know you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, no, I, I do really like having that, those connections. In fact, one of the, the party tricks I learned, and I use this at conferences, uh, is, but it's, I ask somebody, what do you do for a living? Or what do you do? And I often don't say for a living because maybe somebody is self unemployed or self-employed or whatever. You know, what do you do? And when they tell me, uh, yeah, I learned this one, I say, that sounds really difficult. And you just stop. Right? And if they need another prompt, you might come up with a thing that sounds difficult about their job. And people will talk for hours. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always learn something. Like I tell somebody their job sounds difficult and they will tell me how. Yeah. I'm, I had no idea that was what you thought was hard about your job. 
I thought it was this other thing. I'm like, oh no, that's a breeze. I got no problem with that. Yep. This is the thing that's hard, and now I learn something. And usually, and here's here's a skill I've got is you tell me something you know, and I can apply it to some other pro thing I know. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, hey, bring in this thing you know to this other group. Like, and here's what you're going to contribute, and here's the ground you get to stand on. So here's your security tie-in for the day, ladies and gentlemen, those of you listening. Uh, the two things he just described are elicitation and, um, um, and of course, the word comes right out as soon as I want to <laughs> uh, point it out. See, this is what old age gets me. The point is, is he's finding ah, relatability. He's eliciting and relating to whatever the person says. These are two key ingredients for social engineering, if you're not already familiar with it. And the thing is, it's also a sales trick. It is also a life coach, life hack type trick. And the, the reason that is, it's an icebreaker. You use that to establish a rapport with an individual. And what I think is really interesting is a lot of us who have been in this in industry a long time almost master these things. We have this ability to talk to each other, which goes back to our original point. When you use relatability, when you use elicitation, you find these common grounds and that's what you give back. So when you're tweeting out to your 50,000 followers, 14,000 followers, you find this relatability. And when somebody new tweets at you and you don't follow them and it's the first time you've interacted with them, the first thing you want to do is elicit information from them. Now, there are two reasons we do this. One, because most of us in the security industry genuinely do want to connect with other people. But two, especially on Twitter, uh, we're trying to figure out if you're a bot. And if you are a bot, you know, it depends on our mood that day. We may just or block you. Yeah, yeah, or a troll. And depending on our mood, we may either just block you and move on with our day, or we might mess with you a little bit. Like trying to break a bot that's in your DMs is the funniest thing you can do on a weekend. So this is the weirdest thing. Um, I have open DMs because I decided that was easier than when people would say, oh, you need to follow me so yeah. I can report a vulnerability. I get vulnerability reports. I get reporters. I have a lot of stuff. I don't get bots in my DMs. What am I doing wrong? Like everybody else talks about trolling bots in their DMs. I, just, I recognize male privilege. Many of the people who report having bots in their DMs are women. Um, so maybe it's that, but I've never had a bot in my DMs. I had a Russian bot hit me up one time. It was a dating bot. And it was, it was just so funny because I used the meme line. I was like, look, just send me the malware link. Yep. And they sent me a link and I'm like, oh, that's clever. Right. Well, at least you're honest about it. Turns out it really was malware. Too. It really was malware. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I get I get weird trolls sometimes. And one a thing that I learned, and this is a, a great defense against social engineering as well, is when you when you have that moment where you're like, I don't know if this person is legitimate or not. Um, have you ever seen the movie Sliding Doors? No, I have not. It's this Gwyneth or sliding door. It's it's Gwyneth Paltrow, I believe, mm -hmm. um, and basically she there's uh, a subway and she makes the subway or she doesn't make the subway and now the movie splits and it's two movies, one in which she got on that subway and one in which she didn't, and it's like this little change. It's not like the the train crashes. It's literally like does she catch her husband sleeping with somebody or not? Yeah. And like how like the whole world changes as a result. And so it's a fascinating thing. And so I apply the same principle. Like somebody walks up to you and asks you for something. You say, this person is, is either somebody who's honestly asking me a question and needs my help. 
or be like a spy trying to get something out of me. What sentence can I respond with that will satisfy both of them? Yeah. Right? Somebody asks you for directions. So Russian spy asking me for directions or a tourist lost asking me for directions, you give them the same answer. Oh, let me tell you where to go. Yep. Oh, you're asking for a phone number for somebody at Akamai. Well, why don't I take the person's name that you're trying to reach and get your contact information and I'll reach out to them for you. Yep. If this is legitimate, they'll call you back. And if it's not, they won't. Yep. Click, you hung up. Ah, that tells me you were just trying to get their contact information, not that you were trying to reach them. Um, yep. and always sort of approaching it that way. And I fail at this, just to be clear, this is hard to do, especially when somebody's trying to use trolling you on Twitter. Yeah, I'll get this when I do, I occasionally do what I call pontifications, where I have something I really want to say, and I put it out there, and I always get somebody who I'm like, that's a deliberate misreading of what I just said. And you're trying to tell me I'm wrong and drive me into an argument, and I don't want to be there. Um, and those are the hardest ones to say, how do I charitably approach this? that they were really honest, even when I'm pretty sure they're not. I usually just turn it around on them and tell them it's all about geese, geese and garden gnomes. That's what the security industry is built on. Frankly, if you don't, if you don't understand how to destroy garden gnomes and take care of your own backyard, why are you in the industry? And it frustrated, like I did that to a guy the other night who was trolling and it frustrated him to no end. And it was hysterical because every time he came back with something, I would talk about garden gnomes and he would just lose it. <laughs> that was two hours. You know, people always say it's not wasted time if you enjoyed it. And that was two hours of high quality time that right, I spent. Which you didn't have to pay for. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, maybe that's what I do for Sometimes I do it. Look, I'll admit that some of what I'm doing is trying to just build better networks and mm -hmm. connect with people. You know, I'm not trying to give something back. When I tweet out this morning about, you know, I was doing my, my Peloton bike ride and then I jumped on with a second instructor and, you know, kicked my butt. Like I tagged all of those instructors. Hopefully yeah. they'll remember who I am. Um, and you know, I'm very careful. I tend to, to do bike rides with the instructors who have Twitter accounts rather than the ones that don't. Because hey, maybe they'll connect with me. Yeah. That relationship might be useful. You know, when when it's time for me to get a celebratory ride, they're going to say my name. They'll go, like, oh, I know this guy. Yeah, and I mean that's the that's that's the whole purpose, at least for me, for social media is to expand your circle beyond what you're used to and what you know. Like, I have people I that- somebody, she's a scientist in Australia. Mm -hmm. that, uh, she started following me a while ago. She was a Patriots fan. Ah. She would tweet to me about Patriots games back when I did a lot more tweeting about football. Uh, for those of you who follow me and are like, but you tweet about football a lot, Andy. Not um, nearly as much as he used let's to. Let's just say I used to live tweet games until I realized that that was sort of coach. Um, so she would engage with me over football. And so I followed her back. I'm like, hey, look, we're going to have a conversation every week about football. I'll follow you. And now we don't talk about football anymore. I'm not live tweeting the games. You know, I'm doing, you know, other commentary. We're not talking about science. And this is fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. I'm getting to see the, the life of a postdoc. I'm like, what that is like in Australia as I'm, as you, you know, what are her stressors? What's going on there? You know, and then how can that make me a better person for other things? Because if I can learn how to be a better person from somebody else's advice or somebody else's experience, that teaches me a little how to share experiences in ways that might help other people. Mm -hmm. It's the pay it forward effect. You take something that you've gotten from someone else and you give it out to, to 
a, a complete stranger. But mm-hmm. that that's a perfect example of you expanding your circle beyond what you were normally comfortable with. You know, back when you were live tweeting games, which I always thought was amusing, but only because I don't watch football. So at least if somebody was like, hey, did you see the game? I could like pull up your feed and tell them about it. And they thought I was yeah. watching the game. But, but that was, you know, it was great before anybody else was live tweeting the yeah. game. Now yeah. there's like 75 reporters live tweeting the game. And I'm like, great. I'll have occasional commentary a couple times in a game. But if I'm in the stadium, I don't want to pull my phone out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, the point I was going for is the fact that because of this interaction and you've mm-hmm. expanded yourself, now you're, you know, you weren't really doing the whole science thing back then, but now you are. Science is actually something I hear you talk about a lot. And those interactions shaped that part of your circle now. I can barely see your phone. Oh, sorry. I have a phone alarm that goes off every day at 2.32 uh-huh. because that's 28 to 3. 28 to three. Every once in a while, I'm in a meeting with an Atlanta Falcons fan and that doesn't go over well. It makes my week. (laughs) Sorry, I had to share. (laughs) I feel like Captain America right now. I understood that reference. The uh, (laughs) 28 to three. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's it. We've derailed. (laughs) There we go. Uh, <laughs> see, the one, the one topic I mostly st- I try to stay away from on Twitter is politics. Yeah, that because nobody's interested in in learning and growing on Twitter about, or any social media about that. Um, everybody has their camps, and they're going to judge you if you're not in their camp as being just wrong. Mm-hmm. So, well, what's the point? I'm not going to make my day better. I'm not going to make your day better. Nope. Let's not do this. Nope. And then the, somebody who's not in either of the major camps, let me tell you, everybody thinks I'm a villain. So yeah. And, and it's just, it's not worth the, you only have a finite amount of energy you can spend on things. And that's yep. just not, not worth the depletion, but it, it is, it, it's just one of those things. You know, like I said, this all started because I was just staring at a follower account and what some troll was saying, but then it hit me like, they're not entirely wrong. Like, what are you doing to bring some sort of value into the people who literally chose to dedicate some of their bandwidth to you? Yeah. Because it's and not you know, a number. So here's, what's, here's what's fascinating. So, you know, anybody who follows me on Twitter, for those who are, like, listening and don't, I'm CSO Andy. Warning, I, like, go from, like, tweeting nothing for a week to, like, I will be tweeting, like, constantly for, you know, a month. But just fair warning. But I tweet about like 85 different topics. I'm not single threaded. Um, I have a group of people who follow me because every Friday night when we're doing Kiddush, I tweet out the wines that we're blessing. Like, and literally I've had people come up to me at a conference and say, I follow you on Twitter and I look forward to your weekly wine. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, you put up with everything else on my feed. Just for the wine. Friday afternoon, you can see a bottle of wine and what Mm -hmm. I'm drinking. Exactly. And that, that right there is the perfect example of this entire conversation that, and, and unknowingly that is what you were putting out there for them. And it's it's, consciously do it. It's now knowingly every time I tweet mm -hmm. that one, and we've literally had days where we're like trying to get to dinner and I'm like, Nope, got to put the wine out. And you know what? That's your one. That's Mm -hmm. your one. 
Everybody has to have one. That's your one. And it's a good thing. Like, and it, and the, the best part is it's something pure. It's something so simple. It's a bottle of wine. That's your one. You reached that one person. But I think what's, what's really interesting when you, you look at the bigger picture, it's never just one. 20 years in the industry, you've had many that's your ones. 15 years in the industry, I've had many that's my one. It's not a contest, but at the same time, you should constantly look at within and try to find more ways to reach one. Figure out what you can do better to reach one. That way, as you expand yourself, you're expanding your circle and you're reaching more people. And that's a good thing, especially nowadays. We need we need more reach because I think people are we, – we had this discussion not too long ago about soft skills and communicating and understanding and empathy. We need that now in this industry. And this pandemic has actually shown that. There's a, a decent level of it, but there could be more. And I think that's how we do it is we remember that when you look at your, your accounts and things, these aren't numbers. These aren't numbers. These are people. people. These are people. And that's, and that's why I look at you. you. We said something earlier about you and your ideas come back to you. Uh, you know, somebody else uses them. And they don't attribute you. And one of the things that I think distresses me a lot right now is people who say that's a bad thing. And I recognize that, yeah. you know, an answer is, well, you're coming from a position of privilege and power, so it's okay if other people adopt your ideas. I'm like, no, we, we all lift each other up. Yeah. Like, I want you to adopt my ideas, and I don't want you to have to spend the first 15 minutes of a conversation saying, oh, yeah, I got this idea from Kahneman and this from Klein yeah. and this from Ellis and this from Simons and blah, blah, blah. No, 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 just like, let's share. Now, if you just blanket steal something. That's like, different. I'm just yeah. going to. We spend 45 minutes repeating the talk Andy gave. Yeah. Pledge, yes, you should credit me. Um, although one of the things I've started doing, my talks, the slide decks, I open source them now. Put them under, out under the Creative Commons mm -hmm. so that people can use them. Uh, I did it first with the one I gave it Business of Software, the one I did for Tactical Edge. I'll put a version out that's not on the Akamai uh, logo. So, you know, because yeah, obviously our brand is. Yeah. You know, not under Creative Commons. <laughs> the slides I put together, like I created the slides. Every slide has a credit. If I took the image from somewhere, um, mm -hmm. you know, the noun project. I'm like, the whole idea here is for us to uplift everybody else. Yeah. Because we sit on top of a pinnacle of millions of people yeah. sharing the information. Like we nothing do. that I say is actually new. No. It's just a new way of looking at something or a way that nobody has said it that mm -hmm. before. Um, and that's all I bring. Like I, I didn't do any creative research. I'm just, you know, a person who's stumbling along and trying to do better. And yep. I worry that there's there's a trend to say, hey, don't do that, don't do it that way anymore. Um, and that that does worry me a little bit. It does. And I think I, I, I'm reminded of something Jack said mm, ten years ago, maybe. Now we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. And I think he did that. I think it was, uh, it may have been B-Sides Detroit. It may have been B-Sides Vegas, but it was one of the times Jack was doing his talk and he, he did the whole, we're standing on, that's exactly what it is. And the thing is, when you're standing on giants and you're climbing all the way up there to get on those shoulders, we're going to overlap. And I don't think it's so much of, you know, and keep in mind, I do agree with you. We're gonna steal somebody's material outright. Yeah, that's just theft. You're 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 being a dork about it. Don't 
don't do that. But if somebody comes off and we're having a discussion and they say to me something I know that you said, I'm not going to call them out and be like, hey, you didn't think that up. That was Andy Ellis who said that. No, you're a fraud. No. What it meant was they took away something that you had said and incorporated it in, into themselves. And now they're giving it back out. Yep. That's how this is supposed to work. Yeah, it means I succeeded. Like yes. there's not a better tribute to me than your brain working differently because you talk to me or you listen to me. That's mm -hmm. it. Like, and also, I, I think even, even though you and I are half a generation removed, we grew up in a time to where it was never about credit for us. And that, that is a privileged thing. That is a generational thing. That is a, you know, it's, there's a lot to that, but also it's still ingrained in us to where, I don't worry about credit if somebody's going out there and saying, hey, you know, this threat actor group does this and they're literally repeating something I wrote down or, or said on a podcast. I'm fine with that. They're taking that message and teaching others. I'm good. I don't need the credit. But I, I, I realize that is a, a sort of a privileged mindset because I'm known well enough to where I don't need the credit. The people who saw me give that talk, they know it came from me. But like it, the place I worry about is, you know, bosses should never steal the credit from no, their support. No, no, like, no, no. And that there's a huge yeah. problem with, and I've seen that in a lot of places in this industry and in other ones. Yep. And that's the one place where I'm like, look, you know, the job of a manager is to celebrate other people's successes and to eat their failures. Yeah. Like if somebody on the team screws, has an idea, I share it in a room and everybody laughs at it. That was my idea. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, that's a great idea. Oh, that was Steve's idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's how it's supposed to work. See, when the team looks good, the manager looks good automatically. Oh, absolutely. And that's why you always highlight your team first and you bring them out and you're like, you know, this Mike had this great idea that this thing worked because Mike had a great idea. That's how you celebrate your team. But yeah, if something fails, that was entirely my fault. I'm the one who told him to do that. Yep. That's how it works. That's just I I, I really don't understand why that's just not understood and done. Like I can't, like when I, I watch the academic circles and the science circles and I see, you know, lead scientists stealing the junior's work as their own or a boss stealing credit for, you know, some research as their own. I don't, I don't understand why this is even allowed to flourish. Like that is just not how it works. But yeah, so I think, I think there's an incentives problem in a lot of places where the expectations of how much somebody is supposed to produce doesn't match what they can. Oh, okay. That's what you mean. Okay. Um, and so now they're incentivized, like, you know, and, and in a sense, this is a different, you know, place I come from. Like, I'm, I'm not dumb, you know, reasonably smart. I come with a lot of ideas. I execute on a lot of stuff. So I get credit for like 20% of what I do. And that's more credit than a lot of people are ever going to see. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it was funny. We had, you were at um, uh, my recent town hall meeting with my boss. Right. And he came yep. in and he was asked, you know, what are the what, what are the most transformational thing Akamai's ever come up with? Right. And he went, he listed six things. But it was not just one. Let me list these six things. And four of those were my innovations. Yep. <laughs> and, and when I say my, that isn't me actually taking a whole lot of credit from other people. A lot of people executed on it. But literally, he said, you know, the whole security architecture around how we do content delivery you know, safely for, you know, people's 
you know, TLS certificates. And I am literally the designer of that. Um, I have a patent in Europe on it. For some reason, the US never gave it to us. I'm like, that's literally my design. Um, I own that for a long time. And it goes and he lists, you know, other things, you know, how we do denial of service defense. I'm like, yep, that's me. Uh, and then he gets to like our whole zero trust model and the you know, enterprise application accelerator. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. 10 years of, of me went into that one. And, and when I pointed out to him afterwards, he said, oh, no, that's just, just those were what I really thought. I, you know, hadn't even crossed my mind that those were yours. <laughs> and and right? the, Which the, is great. Like, to me, that was amazing. Yeah. I'm like, well, just so you know, four of the six were mine. I just want to make sure you remember that. Um, that is there fantastic. There were a lot of people, a lot of people who executed on that. And Akamai is a just about a billion dollar security company on that legacy and i get enough credit like yep. i'm i'm well credited i'm well compensated for for what i do um and so now i'm happy to celebrate what other people are going to do too yeah that be it's we have we have this weird dynamic in infosec and, and and for those of you listening when i say that i'm not talking about the infosec community i'm talking about infosec at akamai and we have this weird dynamic to where we literally it, it's one for all and all for one type team dynamic because none of us alone are any better than all of us together. And so we really do take to heart this whole team dynamic group effort group think, and it helps. It really does. You know, and, and there are times we have failures. And what we do is we step back we look at the failures and we're like, what can we learn? What can we change? How do we get better? It's unlike anything I've ever experienced in a corporate environment. But I have to tell you, compared to some of the stories I see elsewhere, damn glad to have it. And it's that kind of the managers focus on their employees more than they do their I get all the credit type mentality. I think that's why it works so well. Because we know that, you know, our bosses have our backs, but also I think it's really funny that there are times when I, I, I was talking to somebody who's in, in, in the, uh, I'm going to say the word wrong, epidemiology, where, where they're doing the virus stuff. Epidemiology. Epidemiology. And they had a lot of research that they were doing for things that are coming and happening now with COVID. And when it got out that they were working on this, the boss took all the credit from the team. And then when it turned out their research wasn't up to snuff, it was wrong because they were still researching. They didn't have answers. They never claimed to have answers. The boss claimed they had answers. It was wrong. The boss turned right around and blamed the team. And that's just like, what? That what? And it, it just, it's mind, it's mind numbing and disheartening. Like I, I can't understand why people would even work in that environment. We should be thankful. They even want to do that job. Now, if that's the reality they have to face, nothing gets that's done why, like that. That's why one of our team's core values is stewardship. Like I am a steward of this team. I'm not the leader of it. Like people follow me. Like I'm also a leader, but my first job is to make sure that there is a functioning infosec organization the day I leave Akamai. Mm-hmm. That's it. My number one job, make sure this organization is still functional and executing on its vision. And if I do that, and the only way to do that is make sure that the people that are there will be ready to take over and mm -hmm. do that job. Like one of these people is going to have my job someday and it might not be who we think it is. Yeah. Like I stick around for another 15 years. 
God, that's terrifying. Think about it. <laughs> right? But somebody who like, look, I I was the CISO at Akamai, you know, officially only 10 years after I started. Mm-hmm. And that was my first security job in the private sector. I'd worked in the military before that. So literally, it's possible that somebody who just started at Akamai right out of college is Akamai's next CSO. Yeah. Possible, unlikely, but they're the next one, maybe the one after that. So every one of these people has the that capability in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a big fan of trying not to repeat the mistakes of people that made me really angry in the past. And I've had some managers who've done things I didn't like. So much of my management style is don't do that. I mean, that's that's not wrong. I mean, if, if you have practical examples of something you know failed, why would you do that? Why would you repeat mistakes that you know were mistakes? I mean, that makes sense. But I think what, what's really interesting is the, the way you describe that is something I learned in the restaurant business and something I carried over into the corporate world. Train your replacement. Whenever you somebody starts, train them as if they're going to replace you. Train them to do exactly what you know how to do the best way possible because one day you might not be here and they're going to have to take over that role. They're going to have to do that job. Train your replacement. And people get nervous. They get picky. They get cranky when they, they hear that term like, I don't want to lose my – you're not losing your job. You're securing you're your, your job, job and you're also making sure that you know should you move up, the company's not going to fall apart or the organization or, or in the case of a restaurant, the back line's not going to fall apart because you're no longer doing this thing. You train your replacement. And the best yeah. part is you get to train them the way you do it. So you have a clone. That's a good thing. Well, that's what, well actually what I used to tell people, it's funny you use the word clone because I was about to jump in with, um, I tell people, don't be irreplaceable, be unclonable, right? Which is, the set of skills that you bring to the company should be unique, but no skills should be unique. But nobody else will ever do the job of CISO the way I am doing it at Akamai. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. this is how I do it is unique, but I am not irreplaceable. Like literally this last week, I've been meeting with the, or my HR business partner doing my succession plan, which includes like, who is the interim CSO if I left tomorrow? Mm-hmm. That's literally, we have a plan for that. And we have a plan for how do we develop my staff in case it's a year from now, in case it's two, three, four, five. Like we literally have that list of people and it's what opportunities do we have to put those people into Mm -hmm. to give them a better chance at it. The, The real answer is like, I have people who are ready now to do the job better than I was when I took it on. So great. The job has grown since then, so mm-hmm. they're not ready for the current version of the job, but that's okay. They're never going to be ready for the job as I do it. No. And the fact of the matter is, roles like yours, nobody's ever really, quote, ready for it anyway. I'm, days I, I don't feel like I'm ready for yeah, it right I mean, now anyway. I mean, it's no. I mean, that's it. We say it as a joke, but that's 100% real. Like, there there are days where, you know, the, the weight of the job is, is heavier than anything you've ever experienced. But that's also part of the job. That's the nature of the business. And, you know, for anybody who's listening right now who's like, oh, you know, Andy's at the top of his game. I have imposter syndrome almost every single day. There's a point where I'm like, I, I'm not the right person for this. Okay, I'm just going to mull along and learn how to do it. So if you're feeling some days like an imposter, recognize that I feel like an imposter almost every single day. Yep. Imposter syndrome is, is 
that would actually be another good topic for us to sit down one day and just oh, talk yeah. about. I could talk for hours on imposter mm -hmm. syndrome and the Dunning-Kruger effect yep. and how combined those drive human advancement. Yeah. Well, all righty. We have reached our allotted time. I would like to thank everybody for joining us. Now, Andy, if somebody wanted to find you on the social medias or the internet at large, where could they look for you? So CSO Andy generally works, whether that's on Twitter, on LinkedIn, uh, on uh, just the internet, CSOAndy.com. You know, that's the easiest way to find me. And of course, my name is Steve Reagan. You can find me online at technicaloutcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at SteveD3. And of course, I'm always around, so feel free to reach out and talk to me. Thanks for listening. This has been Technical Outcast. We'll see you next time.